This episode is brought to you by my wonderful patrons. Thank you so much to my patrons. They make this podcast possible and also very fun to do because we are able to interact on a private discord where we can talk, discuss topics, and just in general help each other collect the things that we want. So thank you so much to everyone who participates there. I couldn't appreciate you more. This episode is also brought to you by myself. If you haven't already heard, I've been working on a passion project called Cardfolio. It's going to be an app that'll let you scan your cards onto your phone and add them to your virtual binder. Your virtual binder allows you to keep track of not only what you own, but you'll also be able to keep track of what you need. Are you chasing a shadowless master set? If so, Cardfolio will be able to help you keep track of your progress towards your goal so that it makes it easier to achieve it. Cardfolio doesn't just catalog your collection and manage your collecting goals, it will also allow you to see your collection like an actual investment portfolio. This means you'll be able to see how much your collection is worth, how that value has changed over time, and how your collection value breaks down by item type. For example, how much do you have in raw cards versus slab cards versus sealed items? If all of this sounds like an app you would like to download, then join my early access waiting list. I'll keep you updated with app progress, mockups, and when it's available, early beta access. So it'll be fun and it'll be great. The link for the early access waiting list will be in the description below. So go ahead and sign up if that's something that you're interested in. Hello, my friends, and welcome to season three of the Geeked Out Collecting Podcast, where we apply financial and investing principles to our favorite hobby collectibles like Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, comic books, Fortnite cards, you name it, we talk about it all. Thank you so much for being here. I am your host, Jess. So let's get started with collecting things that we love like damn adults. Here's today's episode. What's up, everybody? It looks like we're live. I am excited because I think I'm going to start doing these kinds of episodes a little bit more often versus just one time a week, only because there's a lot of news that kind of comes out. And so I want to be a little bit more relevant, I guess. But yeah, this is another solo segmented episode where we talk about, we're going to talk about current events. We're going to go into a hobby highlight, and then I'm going to show you guys a little bit more of what I've been buying. So this one's going to be really good. I got a feeling because of the hobby highlight, it's going to be a little bit longer than the last one that I put out on Friday, Friday, Saturday. So anyways, for this episode, the first thing I actually want to start off with is a little bit of Magic the Gathering news. Now, I know I don't talk about Magic the Gathering too much, but I wanted to start talking about it a little bit more because I'm starting to get really into it. So the first piece of news is that we have an artist, Ayami Kojima, that's doing artwork for Magic the Gathering's Innistrad Crimson Vow expansion set. So this is what some of the art looks like. This is really cool. I'm going to at some point talk about it a little bit more. But the Innistrad uh, block has been really, really fun and interesting to me because long story short, 
It's centered on a few different planeswalkers, specifically Soren in the plane of Innistrad. And it's just vampires and it's werewolves and it's battling each other. And then it's Eldrazi and they make, you know, you're the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, All this stuff. The story is really cool. I haven't opened up any Innistrad boxes yet, but I want to buy more Innistrad sets and I want to make a few decks. So probably a vampire deck. Duh. And then probably a werewolf deck. Duh. And then maybe an Eldrazi. So, but this will be really cool. The reason why this artist is awesome, not only because you can see her artwork right here, but she actually did a lot of work for the Castlevania games from back in the day. So yeah, she did a lot of things. Let me see here, like the Curse of Darkness, Bloodstained, uh, Symphony of the Night. She has a lot of experience drawing vampires. And so what they're going to do for this set is they're going to technically actually be introducing Count Dracula. So Count Dracula is going to be like an alternate, I guess it's technically called an alternate art of Soren. So it's going to technically be him, but it's going to be called Dracula. I don't know if it specifically comes out in Crimson Vow, but I know it does come out at some point in a shred. So anyways, that'll be really interesting. I'm really excited about that. I mean, come on. The artwork is awesome. I was literally just playing Castlevania earlier today on an old Sega Genesis emulator. So very cool stuff. Very, very fun when it comes to Magic the Gathering stuff. When it comes to other collecting news, a few pieces of information that I found to be really interesting I'm going to share my screen really quickly. The reason why I wanted to bring this up. So the headline reads, uh, Serena Williams rookie card sells for $44,280. This is the biggest auction for a female athlete, which is amazing. I mean, when I was a kid, I grew up playing tennis. So I always looked up to Serena and Venus. They were amazing athletes. I mean, they still obviously are amazing athletes. And so it makes me really happy to see that she's being valued on the secondary market for her cards. So this would be her rookie card um, that sold at uh, Golden Auctions. So really awesome, cool stuff. I'm happy to see, like I said, that she's getting mad recognition. I mean, because she's just a badass, badass athlete. So found it to be very, very cool. Uh, What I will probably do, just as a side note, because I did do some research for today's episode, I'm going to put all of the links into the show notes. So if you want to reference anything, uh, definitely go ahead and do that. As far as some more collecting news, I guess maybe we would probably call this just notable sales that aren't in any specific hobby verticals that we typically talk about. But the headline reads, hobby news and notes, BBB, not... I'm sorry. This is the wrong freaking article. Uh, No, actually, this is the right one. Yeah. So it looks like we just had a really interesting sale for... Let me share the correct one. A Mickey Mantle debut ticket sells for $141,000 on the secondary market. So this is going to be the second highest sale ever. And this is a debut stub when he first came out or first played in 1951. So pretty amazing, very historic. It's a PSA 3. Let me see. I don't know how many more there are. But anyways, really crazy, interesting you know, obviously Mickey Mantle is iconic, played baseball a long time ago. Obviously, it looks like this is the second highest ticket sale ever behind the 1903 World Series ticket sale. So very cool stuff. Um, and it just recently happened. Let me see if I can find out when. It looks like it were, was reported around the 27th. So it, it definitely happened this past week. Uh, so very cool to see. So 
it's one of those things to remember too that when it comes to collectible things, right? We like to focus on the cards a lot, but there's other surrounding things that are really important too. So obviously the Mickey Mantle debut sub is really historic and fascinating, but also, for example, taking that specifically into something like Fortnite, the sub for the, or the commemorative ticket for the first World Cup for World Series, I'm thinking will probably go down as... I'm not saying like the biggest thing within the Fortnite hobby, but I think definitely something really valuable to hang on to, which is part of the reason why I bought it. So thank you, R3Rips, for putting the plug on that for me. Let me know about that. I had no idea that they existed. And when I saw that they existed, I was like, yeah, it's a pretty much a no-brainer purchase to me. So, And then if I can get it signed by Bugga, who was the first gamer that won the World Cup for Fortnite... I mean, then there you go. That's pretty amazing. I DM'd him on Instagram. He hasn't hit me back yet. So cool. Well, moving on to Pokemon news. Uh, it looks like we have the full card list revealed for Fusion Strike. And it's going to be the largest one ever. So I don't know if you guys... I don't know if it was last week or the week prior, but it was sometime recent. Um, Danny Phantom put out a video talking about how the sets for Pokemon cards have gotten bigger over time. And so now what we're seeing with Fusion, Fusion Strike, it's going to be the biggest one ever that we've seen for with 284 cards. So I'm going to go ahead and put a link in the show notes so that you can take a look to see what cards you might be interested in the most, you know, which ones to really go after. I'm going to go ahead and put that in there so you guys can kind of do some research um, when you're trying to figure out, okay, do I want to, from any perspective, a gamer, collecting, investor perspective, um, I'll go ahead and put that there so you can take a look at that if you haven't seen it already. So um, now on to the next bit of news, which happened literally yesterday. I don't know if you saw that. I didn't catch it when it happened live, but Best believe I heard about it right away when it happened. It looks like Leon Hart pulled a shadowless Charizard yesterday, which is pretty amazing. It seems like he was doing a box break for a shadowless box that was owned by a previous Watsy employee, I believe. So anyways, this is crazy. It's amazing. I'm, I'm assuming he's definitely going to get it graded. I don't know if he made any comment to the quality of the card, so... We can kind of see it a little bit here and it looks like centering could probably be a little bit better. It looks like it's a little bit offset, leaning, floating more to the top left for that. So, you know, I don't know. Hopefully it grades really well if he does end up getting it graded. I mean, it's a beautiful card. Shadowless is probably my favorite, my favorite version of base set. Base set is probably my favorite set. Well, no. My second favorite set. My first favorite set is Southern Islands. Second favorite set is going to be base set. Specifically, Shadowless is my favorite version of it. So anyways, really happy for him. I mean, shit, I don't know how I would react if I pulled up Monster of a card. So, and and I mean, you know, obviously there's always a chance that more can pop up, but it just seems that's the card. And it just, it just seems pretty extraordinary that he did pull it. So, I mean, I know there's more boxes out there than we think there are. I know, don't be fooled. There's definitely a lot more out there. There's some whales out there that have a lot of boxes that are still not opened. So we can probably expect to see more cards hit the market, you know, over these next years. But very fascinating. Love it. 
really happy that he was able to pull big. So very good stuff. I think that's all I had for Pokemon. Um, now what I wanted to do is I wanted to get into a little bit of Fortnite. Uh, nothing too crazy because this is a little bit more game specific rather than card specific. But I thought this was really interesting because what I'm really trying to do is I'm really trying to pay attention to what happens in the gaming world so that I can kind of see what may or may not affect my cards, for example, and what I have in the hobby. So this was really interesting to me. It looks like what they're doing now for Fortnite in China is that it's actually shutting down those servers. Kind of surprising and also kind of not since the Chinese government has been trying to keep kids off of playing games. They've been doing things that make it harder for kids to play games, putting limits and stuff like that. So that's kind of not surprising. Apparently too, and you know, obviously I've never played the Chinese version of Fortnite, but apparently it's also vastly different. It's going to be much different than how we typically play it everywhere else. So I don't know what kind of impact this is going to have. I don't suspect that there's going to be much effect in terms of like the multiplayer gaming of it just because the games were much different. I don't think they were pairing up (laughs) multiplayer games for Europe and China. I don't think they're pairing up those players, but curious to know if I'm wrong on that though, Uh, because I figured they would have just kept their players isolated in China. So you were only playing Chinese players when you're playing the game. Anyways, thought it was really interesting. Just caught that today. Something else that I thought was really interesting too. Let me go ahead and share this really quickly. It looks like there was a leak. So there was a leak recently that could make some gamers mad um, because it looks like they revealed a no build game mode, which, you know, I think could upset a lot of players. If I played more, I don't know that this would upset me just because it's just a whole skill in itself. And it's fucking amazing to see and watch players who are really good at building that can just you know whip stuff up really quick um really smart really good with it it's definitely going to obviously change those game modes but i don't know that it'll be a permanent change there's a lot of people speculating that it's going to probably be a little bit more of a temporary thing so but i don't think that's going to actually remove the normal modes of the game so i don't know we'll see what happens I mean, that is definitely, like I said, a skill within itself. And it's really cool to watch people who are skilled at it. But every time I've played, I've never messed with the building. It's just too much. Uh, You know, when you're trying to up your skill and and get used to uh, sites and everything and being good just in general, adding that layer of building, I'm just not ready for yet. So anyways, I thought that'd be really interesting. We'll see how... We'll see, A, if it actually happens, B, how the gamers will react, and see how that changes um, the ecosystem. So I thought that was all very, very cool stuff. So now, I mean, that's pretty much all I have for news. I want to go through a hobby highlight. So the last time I went through this, I talked about Flesh and Blood. This time around, I want to highlight a different game, obviously, uh, Magic the Gathering. And I know I don't talk about it too much. I know... Not many people are super into Magic the Gathering from you know my normal audience. Typically, it's Pokemon and Fortnite. But I really wanted to talk about Magic the Gathering because you know this is something that I've kind of always liked. I've never really been or considered myself a player at all. I've played it a few times. I'm definitely not good. I need to practice 
first deck I built was a goblin deck. I'm sure it was probably pretty terrible execution. But anyways, I really like Magic the Gathering because recently... I've been getting really into the Innistrad set or the story more so. I haven't opened up any boxes whatsoever, but I want to. And I want to, like I said earlier, I want to build some decks in that and kind of enjoy those cards. So it's been really interesting to catch up on the story and the lore and learn more about that. So what I want to do now is just kind of give a high-level look at Magic the Gathering a little bit from a gaming perspective and a lot of it from a collecting perspective. So for sure, what um, will happen here is I'll show you guys a few resources that I've used and come across over the years of collecting Magic the Gathering cards um, that I hope you will find helpful for you. So yeah, I just want to kind of give you guys some high-level stuff on you know Magic the Gathering. So if you've never heard before, Magic the Gathering is honestly, a first of its kind. It's a multiverse trading card game, and it was created by a man named Richard Garfield and was released by Watsy back in 1993. So really, really old game <laughs> when it first came out. Uh, there's a few documentaries on it on YouTube that I'll link. Magic the Gathering, when it first came out, got so much slack because there were so many different groups of parents, religious groups that were just, just thought Magic the Gathering was the devil. So that's obviously very amusing. But yeah, when it first hit the market, it was just an immediate success. And, you know, they pretty much practically sold out their supply, their entire supply of that initial run um, by October in 1999. So definitely a huge success. Originally, it attracted a lot of Dungeons & Dragon players. But of course, players quickly expanded. You know, all the other new players you know, quickly got into this just because the gameplay was really interesting. Like I said, it was the first of its kind being a tabletop trading card game where you could essentially fight other players. So you as a player, you take on the role of someone called a planeswalker uh, and you're doing battle with other planeswalkers or other players, right? So what you do is you do this by casting spells, using artifacts, summoning creatures. You deal damage to your opponent's creatures or your opponent's uh, life total. So what you do is when you start out the game, everyone starts out with 20 life points and you die or you lose when you hit zero, right? So that's really fun and great. There are a few game formats. So kind of like Flesh of Blood, there's a few different game formats. So you have constructed and then you have limited. So limited formats are a little bit like the uh, draft games where you're building decks spontaneously with random pools of cards. So you might do that with draft boxes or you might do that you know, in other ways where you're just kind of... <laughs> building a deck right there uh, with whatever cards that are available, and then you're just playing. Constructed formats are obviously going to utilize already made decks by players and typically have a minimum of about 60 cards. So um, just to give you some card basics, there's a few rarity types. So commons, uncommons, rares, mythics. And when you look at the cards, each set has different symbols for the most part uh, to indicate that it's a different symbol, to indicate that it's a different rarity type. But typically they follow a similar coloring pattern so that you know, okay, this is a common, this is an uncommon. So uh, when you're looking for your commons, they're going to be black symbols. Uncommons are going to be silver. Rares are going to be gold. And then mythics are going to be like an orange, red, or a bronze color. Typically when you open up packs, you're going to have one basic land, 10 commons, three uncommons, one rare or one mythic rare, and then sometimes you'll get a foil. 
Obviously, if you get the foil variation, that's going to be more valuable on the secondary market. It'll also look really cool. I've always liked the foils. Cool stuff. Um, when it comes to collecting, here's just some, like a big overview of just basic collecting things, right? So when it comes to set types, there's a few different uh, set types or booster set types. So you have the core sets. Those are the main sets. And when you think of the main sets, these are going to be your alphas, your betas, unlimited, revised, M10, M11, uh, Magic Origins, Core 19, Core 20, Core 21. So those are going to be your main sets. But there are a ton of expansion sets. So sets like Mirage or Rivals of Ixalan, they come in groups called blocks. And blocks are really just like cohesive products that are centered around one plane. So remember when I brought up that you are a planeswalker fighting against other planeswalkers? Well, the multiverse aspect, which is really cool, by the way, the multiverse aspect really comes out when you consider the blocks. Because what happens is in blocks, like let's say you're an Exelon or Ravnica or Innistrad, these are literally different planes of existence where... There's different creatures, animals, people, environments, all these things. They have their own different worlds, and it's very cool. And a planeswalker is really significant because these are people or beings with special powers, gifted special powers, that they can travel across the different planes. And so with that said, you're going and you're meeting a whole bunch of ton of cool different people from different planes, but also there's you know growing conflict or across different planes. So for example, the big bad across all the different planes with the Eldrazi, they just go and they just eat up planes. I kind of think of them as like, what is it? The Galactus? Galactus from um, Marvel? So anyways, they just go and they eat up all the planes. And so what happens is that obviously the people within those planes try to fight back. And it's really cool. First off, it's really cool that all of the storytelling happens from the cards. Like, that's crazy interesting. Very, very interesting. So when you're looking at planeswalkers, people that can jump from plane to plane, they sometimes hate each other. Sometimes they like each other, get together. Sometimes they're friends. Um, there's you know a group of them called the Gates Watch where they try to help each other's planes stay safe from threats, including the Eldrazi. So really interesting stuff. Anyways, I went on a complete tangent <laughs> all to talk about expansion sets because expansion sets, um, they come in groups called blocks. And so blocks are cohesive, like I said, products that are centered on a plane. So typically what they do, you know, it's a standalone expansion set with smaller little expansions that come out for those sets. So like, for example, Innistrad. Innistrad has got Crimson Vow that's going to come out, right? So those are going to be smaller ones. But, you know, it it all follows a pattern. It all follows like a design aspect, a, you know, a theme. They're themes. I like that. Really interesting stuff. But as far as other sets go, other set types, you have reprint sets. So Chronicles, Modern Masters, Eternal Masters, Iconic Masters, things like that. Collector edition boxes, that's going to be another type of set. So it was something that was more recently started with Thrones of Eldraine. Uh, pretty much Watsy, they decided to release collector booster packs. And what's really cool about those is those are going to have like specialty cards or specialty variations or special arts or alternate arts or special foils of cards where, you know, that's the good shit. That's where you get the good shit from. Um, so typically, these boxes and packs hold secondary value. 
higher secondary value, but they also are more expensive in general. So for example, I remember when you could actually buy a collector's uh, pack from for Strixhaven uh, from Target. It was costing something like $22 or $25, I think is what I paid. And what was really cool with that is that was actually the only way you were going to be able to get the Japanese, <laughs> Japanese, the Japanese alternate arts um, from that set, Strixhaven. I know I've talked about it before, but I freaking, <laughs> I just freaking love them. They're great. They're amazing. Very cool art. I've very much enjoyed it. I, I haven't gotten the full set, but uh, still kind of working on it here and there. So anyways, so many things to buy. So yeah, so those are the different sets, right? So core sets, expansion sets, reprint sets, uh, collector edition sets. Um, those are the biggest kinds. And, and, you know, obviously, you know, there's probably other different ways you can categorize it or break it down. But again, like I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to link out a list of all the sets when they came out and, you know, in general, the categories for them too. And then what I'm also going to do is I'm also going to link to a few other supplemental pieces of information for you guys too. There is a, a topic that I wanted to transition into that I think is really important to talk about that is specific to magic from what I can tell. No one else does this, but it's the reserved list. Really, in all reality, the reserve list was created purely to preserve value on the secondary market. And essentially what the reserve list is, is this is a list of cards that Watsi has agreed to never reprint. So this list was first established and published back in 1996. It was revised in 2002 and then again in 2010. So the current list as it stands hasn't been changed since 2010. So when we're talking about, you know, reprints of cards, we kind of mean this in a number of different ways. So they it means that they won't reprint exact, like the functionality of a card, like a functionally identical form of a card, right? So this means that there won't be a card with that same type, that same subtype, abilities, mana cost, power, and toughness. So uh, when we think of that, we think of maybe cards like band cards, for example, like the Black Lotus or the Mock Stein. Those cards aren't going to really ever get reprinted because they're on the reserve list. They broke the game <laughs> because they pretty much, they broke the game. So there aren't many formats that will actually allow you to play those cards. But obviously, like, if you know anything about value, and I'll get into a little bit of card value in a little bit, but I don't think you want to play with those cards either just because of how much they're worth. But yeah, so the reprint policy, going back to that, it applies to English and also non-English cards. So if you weren't already aware, you can find them in a lot of different languages. Japanese, Chinese, Russian. I've seen them in Spanish, French, many different languages. Similar to Pokemon, right? To give a little bit of backstory on the reserve list itself, though, uh, this started back when WotC released their fourth edition and Chronicle sets. Uh, so these sets, pretty much what happened is they devalued cards on the secondary market. And so collectors are like, whoa, 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 okay, like, don't do that. <laughs> They're like, please don't. Can we, can we go about, can we go about this in a better way? So what kind of started happening around this time is you started seeing different border colors for cards. So for example, the black borders were originally only restricted to cards that were released for the first time. And then Watsi started printing cards with the white borders so that they can be used for reprint sets like Unlimited and Revised and things like that. So, you know, obviously they did that 
They put the white borders to help maintain the collecting value of the initial limited print run, which makes sense, right? But, you know, that just really wasn't enough. So with feedback from collectors, they agree to the reserved list. Honestly, to this day, I think Watsu regrets it because it limits to it limits what they can print and maybe certain types of gameplay as well. But anyways, uh, very cool stuff. Definitely something that you want to be aware of because when we think about Pokemon, even when we think about Fortnite or things in general, first edition versus unlimited, right? We want to be protected in a sense from reprints happening because if a company can just go in and, and infinitely reprint stuff, like our values for things are going to take, we spent $500 and now it's worth like $2 because it was printed to oblivion. So when it comes to collecting for the long term from that perspective, there's things that we try to do to mitigate that risk, right? Because it is risky to buy a card that might just reprint in the future and devalue and, and not look different than the original, not be differentiatable. A really great example of that is probably the 1998 demo pack cards, right? Because those cards, those packs had shadowless cards. They were common and uncommon cards. And you can actually look up the list, the, the card list of those packs. So you can see exactly what cards you should expect in that pack. And those packs came out in 1998. So technically, those were the first English Pokemon cards to release in the United States. And they were just an initial, like, let's introduce these cards to people. Let's get them in the hands of players. They were taking these cards or these packs out to Magic the Gathering tournaments and other LGSs just to get people into the cards get them asking questions, you know, what the hell is this? How do you play it? Things like that. So when those cards, you know, came out, when those packs first came out, they're shadowless packs or shadowless cards, actually. And what I found is I don't own those. I don't, I don't own a pack. That would be one of my grails to actually own. But when people opened up those packs and they saw the shadowless, uh, from what I've done in my research, and, you know, please, anyone, if I'm wrong on this, like, educate me if there's something information that I'm missing because I've never been able to see a normal shadow list and then a demo pack shadow list side by side, but there's no differentiation, right? Can you imagine if there was just like one tiny detail where you could actually tell the difference between those cards? Can you imagine how grail those demo pack cards would be? I mean, I don't really hear many people talk about the demo pack cards. I don't know why. I guess maybe, you know, the market not might not be very educated on them, but if they were different, like those would be the mother cards, right? Those would be the mother cards for the US introduction into Pokemon. Very interesting stuff. Obviously, you know, just kind of proves a point to when it comes to reprints, if there's no differentiation, value tanks, we all know that. So that's why, that's why the reserve list is so helpful because if you're considering investing in Magic the Gathering, uh, the reserve list is a place you'd probably want to start first. You'd probably want to look at those cards just to see, okay, you know, these are probably the safest cards that we have. That that might be the first place to go. For me, I do have some reserve list cards, but I don't spend much in terms of actually buying reserve list cards just because the ones that I want are really expensive. We'll kind of get into that in a little bit. But what I've been doing is I've just been buying booster boxes and for the most part, keeping those sealed for the most part. Okay. <laughs> it's hard to do. So now getting into 
like what's valuable, what's not valuable. I mean, just to kind of give you guys a basic primer introduction into valuable sets, for example, the most valuable booster boxes that you could buy right now on the Magic the Gathering market is going to be the Alpha set. And that's going for about $233,000. Beta, that was the second set that came out, $175,000. And these are sealed boxes, by the way. Arabian Nights, it's $102,000. Unlimited, $38,000. Legends, $10,000. So we're talking about prices that absolutely rival Pokemon sets. Very cool. Very awesome. Here, let me give you a little bit of a taste of in terms of the market. This is a tool that I use. It's really just a web page. And they do a pretty good job from what I've seen updated it. This, as you can see right here, is a list of TCG prices for booster sets. So this is a little bit where I've got my information. Like what I was saying before, these are core sets. These sets right here, many of them are going to be expansion sets. Well, all of them are expansion sets. Uh, A lot of these are going to be block sets, right? So when you're in Dominaria, when you're in Ravnica, Eldraine, Theros, uh, Zendikar... You know, Strixhaven, Innistrad, all these different cool places. More modern stuff is what a lot of that is. But, you know, Urza's, Tempest, Mirage, like, you know, just other places, other blocks. Very cool stuff. So as you can see here, Alpha Set first, very, very first one that came out. Boom. It's uh, what I love about this is how you can see it does chart it over time, uh, which is really cool. It would be even cooler if it had more historical data, but, you know, Neither here nor there. Another really great version of this list that I like to keep an eye out on as well is what the prices do from a pack perspective. So we're looking at the same data. Those are the booster sets. Let me go ahead and show you the packs from those booster sets. So this is the pack data. So if we were to buy one pack of alpha, it would be $6,400. Round it up 65, right? So anyways, it's really cool because it gives you a high-level view of the Magic the Gathering market, where most of the value is, where the value might go. You can look at past value and, and kind of place your bets or spend a lot of money to make really awesome decks or just collect whatever you are into. We're looking at sets from a set perspective. And the one thing that we have to ask ourselves is, okay, so, but why are these sets so expensive? You know, you can ask yourself the same question, anything else in Pokemon, in Flesh and Blood, in Fortnite. Why are these sets so expensive? Why will a Fortnite mega box cost around $1,500 right now sealed USA print? Why will that cost about $1,500? Well, Definitely for sure, I can tell you, you have a one out of 200 chance to pull a Black Knight Crystal Shard that's worth, uh, last time it went on the market, it sold for $26,000, right? That could explain why (laughs) those Fortnite mega boxes from Series 1 are so expensive. Well, the same thing obviously applies here too when it comes to Magic Gathering. So why is an Alpha Edition set worth $233,000 on the secondary market? Well... That's a very simple question to answer because of the fact that all we have to do is look at the cards that are in it. So what I'm going to show you is I'm going to show you a list of reserved cards and I'm going to show you how they look like in terms of value. 
So the, the one thing I will say is this particular list in terms of value is a little outdated. I tried to uh, validate some of the data and I found some of it to be a little bit wrong because there's a lot more data that's come out with just bigger sales prices, right? I'm going to skip this one for now because I've not been able to verify the sale. I'm still doing more research to find that. But judge promos, long story short, these are judge cards that are given to judges officially from big tournaments. So go figure, promo cards (laughs) in anything are going to be pretty huge when it comes to tournament-related promo cards. So the biggest cards that we can see here, right? So we've got Black Lotus, we've got Time Walk, Ancestral Recall. And then remember how I talked about earlier, the Mox 9. So these are going to be these cards. Mox Rudy, Mox Emerald, Mox Pearl, Mox Jet, Mox Sapphire. Um, The one thing I do want to bring up here is that You know, I know right here, for example, we happen to see a beta seemingly more expensive or more valuable than an alpha, but this is not quite up to date. For the most part, alpha is going to be like the rookie card of those cards, right? So when we look at, you know, a card that might have been printed across multiple sets, like the alpha, beta, unlimited, revised, the most expensive versions of that card is probably going to be the alpha version. So that's what we see here. Like the Anstressel Rewalk, uh, Recall, because I can't read or talk, Time Walk, Time Vault, Time Twister. Uh, those in alpha versions are going to be worth a lot. So when we're talking about the tip of the tip of the tip of the tip of the market, these are going to be the cards that fall into that realm. So, and just so that you know, when it comes to other TCGs, like uh, Flesh and Blood and MetaZoo, for example, there's always a one card in those sets that are like the Black Lotus of those sets. And the reason being is the Black Lotus is one of those cards that kind of broke the play of the game. It was very overpowered. And so, you know, people with the Black Lotus were killing it back in the day. You know, when that format for gameplay was more common around people. But yeah, you know, now, like I said, that's a banned card. So you don't really, you don't see that at all in tournament play. But yeah, so I'll also put a list, a link to this list as well, because it is pretty helpful for the most part, um, just so that you can get introduced and kind of get a good idea roughly. Okay, these are the big cards from these sets. So that's why it's really nice to see it laid out in this way. So you can see, oh, okay. So beta is a lot because I saw the Mox uh, Ruby printed in that set. Or, you know, I know Unlimited is also big too because they also had the Mox Ruby. And so this is actually an example too when you see the black border and then the white border. So we can obviously see see distinctions. But I mean, even when we go into a set like Arabian Nights, right? So this is one of those cards, the Library of Alexandria. Uh, Typically, these cards tend to be really valuable because of uh, their gameplay usefulness. And obviously, not all of the cards in this set are banned cards. That's like a, I don't know if I would call it a hard and fast rule. Obviously, there are exceptions to it. Yeah, so it's really nice to be able to see the breakdown of these. So, you know, Antiquities, Legends, you know, again, Arabian Nights. So another judge promo, right? So these cards, they help paint a picture as to why those sets are so freaking expensive. So I, I really like to see the breakdown of stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's pretty much about it when it comes to Magic the Gathering. That's going to be like your biggest basics. 
I would say, of collecting. But of course, um, what I'll probably do is I'll probably talk a little bit more about Innistrad, maybe get in a little bit more in depth on Innistrad because that's been super interesting. I have actually have an Innistrad box. So I might just unbox that live. That'll be really fun. So that's all I have for Magic the Gathering. If you have any questions, let me know. If there's anything in here that you guys want to add, because I definitely am not an expert in Magic the Gathering, please let me know. We could do other segments for it. I'm going to put, again, resources, all of the pages that you saw. I'm going to list those out. And then I'm also going to list out a few YouTubers that taught me a whole bunch of things. So Tolarian Community College, he taught me a lot about Magic the Gathering. Rudy from Alpha Investments taught me a lot about Magic the Gathering. And uh, there's also another Magic the Gathering YouTube channel that I like to watch. It's called Rustic Mythic. Uh, Rustic Mythic. Anyways, I'm going to put a link to it because I can't exactly remember the name. But their YouTube videos are just awesome. It's very much a storytelling-driven channel with the topics that they talk about. So on to what I've been buying. Everything obviously. Um, but specifically, I figured I would talk about a little bit more of the Fortnite cards I've been buying because they've been kind of slowly coming in. So what I've been doing is with Fortnite because, I mean, gosh, majority of my money has just been going into Fortnite 100%. Well, okay, maybe like 80%. And what's been really tough too is I've been having to stay away from eBay because I'm finding all these good deals. Honestly, when it comes to Fortnite Series 1 US print hollow foils, anything under $30 in almost any condition, I'm just fine. And anything under $50 that looks like it'll grade a nine, I'm just going ahead and buying. The reason being is that I really do think the hollow foils are obviously super rare. In mint condition, obviously even rare, right? Um, Gem mint, mint condition. But even still, I think there's value in... I think under $30 and $50, honestly, in my opinion, it's really cheap. And you know what I plan to do is I'm not necessarily going after a master set because I definitely don't have the money to do it. Maybe one day, I don't know. But what I plan on doing with those cards is in the future is using them as a way to get better cards, whether that's something I go ahead and flip later on or just trade, which is Honestly, something I would rather do is just go ahead and trade the cards, card for cards, you know, if the value makes sense. But yeah, to me, again, in my opinion, it's really cheap. There's going to come to a point, we're going to look at these prices and we're going to be like, whoa, (laughs) why didn't I just buy those cards? I mean, even in Series 2, so Series 2 with the US print cards, the cracked ice for under 50, under 60, under 70, I still think those are good prices too. I haven't been buying too much of Series 2. I've been buying a lot of Series 1 because I really, really liked that set. And I'm just trying to scoop up as many hollow foils as I can. But yeah, it's just personally, in my opinion, I just think those cards are going to just grow over time. I think there's a lot of room for it to grow. So again, you know, once I'm ready to start getting those bigger cards or, or, you know, when I want some bigger things and Fortnite is bigger at that point in time, hopefully in terms of the cards, I can use those as a way to get those bigger cards. So that's what I've been buying. Again, I'm buying everything. I guess what I could do really quickly to kind of wrap this up, you know, again, um, with just some reminders, announcements in November, the month of November, I will be doing a giveaway for a celebrations box. 
Celebrations ETB. So once I get that in, I'm going to start putting things out for everyone to know, hey, this is how you enter in the giveaway. I'd love for anyone and everyone to participate. Shipping is obviously going to be for free, but international shipping might be a little bit trickier. So we'll figure, we'll cross that bridge when it comes. So, but anyways, I'm really excited about that. And again, just so that everyone knows, I'm working on a scraping tool that hopefully will notify us as early as time as possible when the Fortnite Series 3 Hobby Box is live on the website. So pretty much just monitors the page. So when that Buy Now button shows up, boom, you know, we're ready to go. So if you wanted me to, I mean, this is an experiment, by the way, I'm not 100% sure this will be helpful just because I don't know what other bots live out there that are going to automatically buy those Hobby Boxes. But you know, I'm hoping to, like I said, I've said this before, level the playing field when it comes to scalpers and getting products. So if you want to be notified when the Hobby Box comes live and is available for purchase, just go ahead and sign up for my mailing list. Literally, that's all it's for. And this is the only, this is the easiest way I can think of to notify people is just send an email. So I hope it helps. I hope it works. And if it does work, I want to expand it to other things like obviously Pokemon sets, obviously other Fortnite stuff. Anything else that you guys can think of, I'm open to it. I guess that's all I have for you today. So thank you so much for everyone that hopped into the stream. I'm sorry I haven't been paying attention to you guys very much. But yeah, I appreciate you guys being here. And thank you so much. And I hope you guys have a good night. Peace out.